Luke chapter 9, hear the word of Almighty God. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that we may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge there and get provisions For we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food from all these people, for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. And we pray that you would bless it. Bless us as we meditate upon it together. Grant your servant the words to speak that we might hear Christ and see Christ in your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I only discovered recently something about uh, our money. Um, and I, I shared this yesterday morning because Bill actually brought the same topic up without knowing I, I'd just been studying this. But um, our money says in God we trust, but my whole life I think I, I've assumed it was something left over from godly people of the past who got it on there. And, and so we still have it on our money. It actually didn't appear on paper money in the U.S. until 1957. The first time in God We Trust appeared on American money at all was during the Civil War. The North was really playing up the God is on our side bit, and so they put it on pennies. That was the first time it had appeared. Up until then, it was considered a breach of the First Amendment to have a specific God on anything that had to do with our government. And then it didn't appear on the money until the 1957 when um, the Soviets were talking about how Americans were uh, so materialistic and also were denying God. And so what did we do? Well, we'll show them. (laughs) We'll put God right on our money and prove we're not materialistic. How has that worked in our country? Have we become less materialistic with that reminder on the dollar bill? It's in God we trust. I I don't think so. What about us as Christians, though? 
I was reflecting this last week, at least for me, I, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life when I've been stressed out over finances, pulled a dollar bill out of my wallet and said, slow down, Nathan. It's in God that you trust, not in money. I, I don't think it's really helped us Christians much either to have it on there. Not saying, I'm not saying we should have it taken off. This isn't a political statement here. Just, I, I, I think often we get stuck with all the same struggles over provision and, and supply and what we need that the world does. And sometimes we forget what we ought to know better than the world. That it is God who provides for all the needs of his people. As we come into this story of Luke that appears in some, in some instances at longer, uh, with longer description in the other Gospels, uh, Luke wants us to see uh, as he's been developing this theme that Jesus has all authority and power. Now he wants us to see that this authority and power is turned toward filling or supplying the need of his people. That Christ is the provider and that he is the sufficient provider of all that his people need. In fact, in this passage, as we see Christ uh, hand out this, this food to 5,000 men, and uh, let's not miss that fact that Luke says it's 5,000 men, he's not saying this was a men's retreat. They left the women and children at home. Only 5,000 men came out. Most scholars actually argue for something more like uh, 1,500. Thousand or or twenty thousand here, based on the average family size, and this being the word for adult men. So let let's go low with it and just say that this is this is all men who have been recently married and don't have kids. You're still talking ten thousand people fed with five loaves and two fish. Some of you can't feed your own family with five loaves and two fish. And Christ does 10,000 people or more. He surely is the provider. And this, of course, is the great passage that shows it. I want to consider Christ this morning as our host then. As our host and see how he provides. I think there are three things that can be said from this passage about Christ as host. As host, Christ welcomes, Christ supplies, and Christ satisfies. As host, Jesus welcomes. He is the host who welcomes. You remember how this story begins and and where we came from last week. The apostles have been out doing their first big ministry. They've been healing people who were sick by the power of Jesus. They've been casting demons out of people by the power of Jesus. They've been preaching everywhere they go. Now, I can't speak to the, the miracle side of things, but I used to work 
construction and a 10-hour day of wood floors left me feeling about how preaching one sermon usually leaves me preaching. So imagine the apostles preaching multiple sermons a day probably and healing people and just the interaction. Even if the healing is just touching and ta-da, it happened and there's nothing. But the, the social interaction would be draining. The emotional interaction, interacting with people who had demons to cast them out. Think of the times when Christ does that. Those, are, those aren't just walk up to someone and say, demon be gone. Those are interactions that would drain you emotionally. Maybe even scare you if you're the apostle and you haven't quite tested out the demon casting out yet. Um, th- this is a lot they're doing. One of the other gospels even indicates that the apostles were so busy, they didn't have time to sit down and eat. Is that for the whole trip they went out on? That, that just everywhere they went, they were constantly at work and having to eat in between healing people or in between sermons? It's hard to gauge, but they were certainly hard at work. And now Christ, when they come back, says, let's go and let's get you some rest. Let's go to this deserted place, uh, this place northeast of the Sea of Galilee that is kind of away from any major cities or people groups. And we're going to go up there and we're going to camp out, maybe? It's a deserted place outside of Bethsaida, which is a tiny village. Are they renting a cabin? Whatever they're doing, they're on their way there. One of the other Gospels says they got into a boat, they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee to get there, and the people followed on the shore. It's a flat lake. You can see where the boat's going. Apparently, the the apostles and Jesus could just look and watch the crowd on the shore. Think of how your heart would sink if you were the apostles. You know who they're looking for. You know what they're doing. And you know that there's nowhere you can go on the other side of that lake that they won't get there at the same time. That this is the situation. Now, I, I don't want to impute negative thoughts and attitudes into the apostles' hearts. But I'll tell you what my reactions might be. Uh, on a good day, I would sigh heavily and maybe groan. That would be a good day. If I was one of those apostles on a, on a not-so-good day, a little bit more of a selfish day... I would be thinking, how obnoxious and ungrateful can you be? We just healed crowds and multitudes and cities have been blessed by us, and we just need a break. It's my day off. It's my vacation. What are you doing following us? Something like that on a bad day. Or maybe even, remember the other reason why they're going, John the Baptist was beheaded. And Jesus found out and he wants to go and grieve. Imagine being one of his best friends. And I mean, imagine one of your loved ones or best friends grieving. And their, their boss calls them up and says, I need you to work on Saturday. 
or something like that. That, that I think, is a fairly accurate parallel to how the apostles must have felt about the crowds following Jesus when he's just trying to go and grieve. See, I I don't know what the apostles were thinking, but these are some of the things I would be struggling with. But look what Luke says. They get off the boat. The crowd is there. And he received them. Some translations have he welcomed them. The word received here is not the word you would use if, if you went and banged on someone's door and they opened it a crack and said, what do you want? Well, I, I, need, I need some, I don't know, food or something. I need to talk to you. Well, okay. I suppose that's not a problem. And they kind of open their door and you know they don't really want you there. Not this word. This is the word of one who throws open the doors of his house to the unexpected visitor and welcomes them in. Come, sit, eat, relax, talk. This is the word you would use for that kind of welcome. Jesus is grieving and he, he decides he needs to get away to grieve. He sees his best friends exhausted and he decides they need to get away and rest. But when he sees the crowd, in Matthew's gospel, not too distant from this moment, Christ looks at the crowds and grieves and says to his apostles that they are like sheep without a shepherd. So as he's trying to get away to grieve and rest with his apostles, he sees a bunch of wandering sheep along the seashore without a shepherd. And when he gets off the boat, he welcomes them. This is the kind of host our Savior is. And it's not just in this one moment. This is not an isolated description of Christ as our host. Christ. Christ will. Christ will welcome us to his house, his heavenly home, in the same way he did them. Notice that the welcome, the welcome comes in preaching or speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So here we have a host who is saying, don't just come to my house. I want to make sure you have the directions. And that's what Christ did for three years. And it's what he continues to do in his word and through preaching today. Think of the the welcome that this gospel invitation has. Uh, Even in one of the parables Christ gives, it's going to come later in Luke's gospel. In fact, uh, it's in two gospels, and Luke is the, the one that emphasizes this point. 
that when he tells the story of the gospel going out in the, in the account of the wedding feast, God sends out his messengers and he says, well, some, some guests didn't come and I already paid for the steak dinner, so I suppose you ought to come and eat it. No, that's not what Christ tells us, is it? Christ tells us that he sends out his messengers to the highways and the byways to find the hobos and the people living in the gutters and compel them to come in. That's a welcoming thought. Compel them. If they give you an excuse, I, I'm not dressed right. I'm, I'm too dirty. I'm too poor. Uh, he doesn't really want me in my home. The message from Jesus as host is compel. Don't take excuses. Welcome them in. Or the very next day after our story here, it's only found in John's gospel. The very next day, he'll declare, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. There's no one who can say, well, I heard the gospel presented, but Jesus doesn't really want me. There are a lot of people that say that, though, aren't there? People who perhaps grew up in a church that had the sovereignty of God emphasized. And then when they want an excuse to reject the gospel later, say, well, sovereignty of God, you know, I can't come. I'm clearly not elect, so I can't come. And Christ presents the gospel very differently. He's the host who says, no, if you come you will never be cast out. Or as he says in another place, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is the host who welcomes. He will not turn away. He's also the host who supplies exactly what is needed. Now the, the story even starts off with that. He's supplying the apostles with what they need, rest. And we say, well, wait a second. The story shows that the apostles didn't get rest. But I, I think there's a hint that they will get the rest within a day or so. There, I think there are two things that hint at that. One, in John, the very next day, Christ is going to preach a sermon about himself as the bread of life. And the crowds will hate it. They will run away in, in droves. And he's going to turn to his apostles and say... Everyone else is leaving. Will you also leave me? And they don't. But suddenly they find themselves. Th this, is, this is just 
an observation, suddenly in this wilderness they find themselves alone. Which was what they were intending to do in the first place. They end up getting their retreat with Christ after the crowds leave. Christ couldn't have driven them away any more effectively. It's the most effective moment in the Gospels where Jesus gets the crowds to leave. He preaches about what we will celebrate this morning at this table. And they leave. And the apostles, they are left with Christ alone. We also see a little hint of this in verse 18 of our chapter here, where we read, And it happened when Jesus was alone praying that the disciples joined him. They might not have gotten their retreat on day one when they reached Bethsaida, but they did get the rest with him they needed. And he's going to spend, uh, particularly spend time uh, away from Judea for a little while, which means less large crowds for a little while. They're going to get a, a somewhat of a break. But he also supplies what is needed by the crowd. Have you noticed how Luke phrases this here? That Jesus, Jesus healed those who had need of healing. That's not the way that we usually see that phrase presented. We don't usually see that phrase. We see Jesus healed the sick. Or all who had sick brought them to Jesus and he healed them. But Dr. Luke here uses a slightly different way of saying the same thing. He says he healed those who had need of healing. He's emphasizing that Jesus is the great physician. And he doesn't just haphazardly heal people. He's the great physician who assesses and diagnoses and gives the healing as needed. Now that's always the case. Luke's just emphasizing it here because he's showing Christ as the host who supplies what is specifically needed. And these people needed it. They weren't people with little sniffling colds who obnoxiously break in on Jesus' vacation with his disciples to have their cough taken away. These are people who needed healing. And implied by Luke here also, people who needed spiritual healing. And so he gave them the message of the kingdom of God. He gave them all what they needed. And of course, then there's the food. The host provides food. He doesn't heal them only to leave them hungry and lost in the desert. And this is something we constantly think Christ is is doing. We, We have this tendency to forget that he is the one, the host, who supplies abundantly what is needed. And that's why Paul will talk to us about the fact that we have this this tendency to think, here's Christ who by his atoning death justified me, but that somehow he's abandoned me in 
in my continued struggle with sin. Paul says, no, he will finish the work he has begun within you. He's not going to heal you and leave you hungry. He's not going to justify you and leave you unholy. He will finish the job. Here we have an example of this in terms of their physical well-being. He heals them and will have them fed. I, I think here we should note that the disciples sometimes get a bad rap, send them away. I, I think quite the opposite. I think we see that they have a heart like Christ's when they come to Christ and say, these people will be lost in the dark and hungry. It's time for them to go find lodging. That, that is often a sentence here, verse 12, that is presented negatively. But I, I don't think the apostles necessarily deserve that. They're concerned for the people. The problem is they don't look to the right source for the people's need. Send them away to find a source to provide for them. While Jesus has just been providing healing for them in the wilderness. In fact, in fact, the apostles then are challenged by Christ. You give them something to eat. What's Christ doing there? I think possibly two things. On the one hand, he, he might be reminding the apostles of their place. I've never cast out a demon and healed people and had crowds coming to me like the apostles did the previous week. But I suspect that might, it might affect your ego and pride a little bit. Suspect there might have been a little bit of, well, Matthew has the record for casting demons out. He really has a gift with that. But, oh, John's preaching. Have you heard the teenager? He's the best preacher of all of us. And, and, and Andrew, he knows how to heal a blind person. No one heals the blind like Andrew, except Jesus, of course. I don't know that that was going on, but you know sinful heart intimately. And tell me you don't think the apostles might have been struggling with a little, a little pride at this point. But remember where they had those abilities from. Verse 1, he gave them power and authority to do these things. And if they've forgotten that, He now says, great, you heal people, feed them. Oh, we we can't do that. I mean, I can't do that. There might be a little bit of a humbling going on here. But I think more than that, here Christ is seeking to draw out their faith. He's giving them the opportunity to say, well, Jesus, I can't do that. But two weeks ago, I couldn't 
heal someone who was crippled. If they were in the wheelchair, they were in the wheelchair two weeks ago. And now I've, I've helped five people stand up and walk. Because you gave me the ability. So Jesus, I don't have the ability to feed these people. But you could give me that ability. It may be a test of their faith like that. And we can't blame them too, too harshly that they don't pick up on that. Because would you or would I? I can't feed 5,000, let alone 10, 15, 20,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. So he, he does it. And he has the authority to do it. And he has the authority to do it because it was he who, who hundreds of years earlier in the wilderness had given manna. And it was he that in the days of Elisha had supplied food out of nowhere for those prophets who needed food while in seminary. And it is he who here blessed and broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. He supplies exactly what is needed. And he supplies bread for us as well. And finally, Jesus, Jesus is the host who satisfies. I, I was remembering uh, hosting all on my own at one point. About a year before Holly and I got married, I had some other seminary students and their wives over to my house, and I cooked what I thought was a giant, giant vat of chili. And uh, I, I actually didn't get any. Not a great host. They were all very gracious, and they all got food. And, and I pretended to be eating something out of a bowl. Uh, there are times when you can be a well-meaning host and not satisfy. It's possible. But that's not Jesus. And this passage is very clear about that. The beauty of how Luke writes it. He, he writes, So, they all ate and were filled. They were filled. Critical scholars are always trying to get rid of the miracles. One famous scholar has argued that Jesus hypnotized the crowd to make them think they had had food. Apparently being some kind of weird ma magician is possible, but not being God. Uh, more than that, though, the, the number one thing you read in, in commentaries at this point, the, the two things you hear the most, one of them is that Jesus was able to give each a crumb of bread and that they all ate a crumb and it was just enough to give them the energy they needed to make it to the next day. Which is about the dumbest thing. That's, that's as dumb as 
hypnotism. But that, that's what sincere scholars say at this point. That they were... They... Yeah. The, the other thing that you hear the most... Remember what the other gospel tells us. It's a boy who actually has the... The, the apostles don't even have food for themselves. There's a little boy who has five loaves and two fish, and he comes up to Jesus, and he, oh, you can, you can have my food, Jesus. And the, so the other main thing you read in commentaries is that the crowd saw or heard of this boy giving up his snack or his, his meal, and they were all moved to share whatever snacks they had brought. And all combined then, motivated by this wonderful boy, who is then the hero of the story, right? They all shared whatever things they had, and everyone got enough, and they were all satisfied because they were content with the, the joy of having shared. Dr. Luke says they were filled. Five thousand grown men and probably some teenage boys, let alone women and other people. And they were filled. And they took up baskets. These baskets are are the type of basket they used in those days. It's the equivalent of like a a day pack if you're doing a day hike. It's what you would have carried your stuff in if you were going to travel a distance. So Christ fills the people. They are satisfied. They are full. And then there's leftovers. Christ continues to satisfy his people. He satisfies our spiritual needs. He doesn't just get us out of hell and then good luck keeping out of hell. He pays the penalty for our sin and gives us his infinite righteousness. He clothes us and welcomes us into his heavenly home. He provides what we need in intercession before the Father that every stuttering prayer we bring is received as if it was a great speech and welcomed by the Father. He provides all. And even in the church, physically, he provides through the church, doesn't he? Each time that the the deacon coordinates our congregation for mercy ministry, that is Christ providing. 
each time you, you have been in the hospital and a casserole is left on your porch. That is Christ providing. Each time the anonymous money gets left in your mailbox or something like that. That is Christ providing. He is the one who satisfies, who has built even into the temporary things of his church a system and a heart to care for those in need. Twelve baskets of leftovers. They were so satisfied they didn't need them. And each apostle gets a basket to carry around for the next few days. Jesus had said, you feed them. And now they can. Because he is the host that satisfies. John 6 recounts the next day. The greater provision, the greater nourishment, the greater satisfaction. That next day, he will speak to them a contrast. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. Satisfaction only goes so far when it's earthly things. But he says of himself, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Do you know this host? Have you heard his invitation? Have you seen his smiling face turned toward you? Do you recall the first time he fed your soul? Shouldn't that assure you of his supplying all things else that you need as well. Or was it vain rambling that we said earlier? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things, all things must work together for my salvation. This is your host. This is your host who broke the bread in the wilderness so long ago. And it is the same Christ who gives you this, his word, and breaks this bread through his servant this morning. Thanks be to God.